Let's open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 12. We continue our verse-by-verse studies in the uh, book of Acts. We're going to pick up where we left off. We're in the last verse of chapter 12 because it belongs with chapter 13 contextually, and we're going to read down into chapter 13, verse 4. The topic of those verses, after twice fasting and much praying, the church at Antioch released Barnabas and Saul to go where the Holy Spirit was sending them. We're calling our study, Life Comes at You Fast. Verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Let's pray. Father, as always, we more than desire, we require that your Holy Spirit would be here to guide and direct our thinking about this inspired passage. We want to know everything you want us to know about it this morning. We certainly can never exhaust it, but you know where each of us are at in our walk with you, and you know where our church is at in our walk with you, and uh, Lord, you can take these words in this text and Bring it to bear on our situation. Encourage us and strengthen us and refresh us. Equip us so that we're able to do the work of the ministry you've called us to. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you are driving the lead car, do you make it easy for others to follow you? Whenever I try to follow someone, it seems I end up getting left in the dust. Everything goes fine for a a few minutes and then they come up to the first street light and it turns yellow and I'm thinking, well, they know I'm following them. They're going to stop. And they just on the gas and they're gone through and then I have to stop. And then I think, well, certainly they'll pull over and wait for me. Because, you know, the concept of follow me is I don't know where I'm going. I mean, if I knew where I was going, I wouldn't, I, you know, it's not, I don't want to follow you for any other reason other than I don't know where I'm going. So, and there they go and they're gone. And it just, it's annoying. <laughs> when you're among Christians, you hear talk about the leading of the Holy Spirit. He leads we follow. Does it ever seem to you that the Holy Spirit has accelerated through the yellow light and left you in the dust? Well, there's no better text to explore the leading of the Holy Spirit than right here in Acts 13. Barnabas and Saul find and then they follow his lead as they embark on a missionary journey. If we see how they were led, we will learn how we too can be led. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, the Holy Spirit wants you to find his leading. And number two, the Holy Spirit wants you to follow his leading. First of all, beginning back in chapter 12, 
the Holy Spirit wants you to find his leading. Jesus told his disciples that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. That was all the way back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We are at the point in the story where going to the end of the earth really begins in earnest. It began at the church at Antioch. Barnabas and Saul went out on what is called Saul's first missionary journey. Three such journeys will be recorded for us in Acts. The first one ends in chapter 14 when the missionaries return and report and rejoice with the church at Antioch. It's a monumental moment in history and not just church history, but in the history of the world because it is really the bringing of the gospel all over the globe of which you and I are recipients. What we will be focusing on is how the decision was reached for these men to go on this journey. And we'll see that it was reached thanks to the leading of God, the Holy Spirit. We begin with the last verse of chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. The church at Jerusalem was suffering the effects of a famine. The church at Antioch took a free will offering and sent them aid. Barnabas and Saul were the guys who delivered the proceeds of that offering taken in Antioch for the poor saints at Jerusalem. While they were there, they picked up John, sometimes called Mark or John Mark, as a tag-along. He was a young believer, probably converted under the ministry of Peter. He was Barnabas's cousin. He would go on to author the Gospel of Mark. We'll see an important episode with him a little bit later in the book of Acts. Uh, a decision about John Mark's leads to a split between Barnabas and Saul. Now, before Barnabas and Saul even return to Antioch, we can see some things that are necessary in order for us to find the leading of the Holy Spirit. And there are at least two such things here in verse 25. First of all, Barnabas and Saul were actively involved serving the Lord. Before they find the leading of the Holy Spirit for this next missionary journey, they're busy serving the Lord already. They were willing and they were available to take the offering to Jerusalem. It wasn't as easy as it sounds. Traveling was both difficult and dangerous. Just ask the guy the Good Samaritan came across. It was not unusual at all to be attacked by robbers uh, and left for dead or even killed and robbed along the way. And so uh, it was a dangerous and difficult journey that they took, but it was uh, as unto the Lord, and so they were available to do it. I would add that they were serving not just the Lord, but the Lord's church. Barnabas and Saul were vitally involved in their local fellowship. They were part of the leadership, but they were also submitted to leadership and to one another as a body of believers. They weren't out doing their own thing. They were doing God's thing. Uh, they didn't start the Barnabas and Saul take an offering for Jerusalem society and go around and do that. They didn't, they're not going to start the Barnabas and Saul Missionary Society. All of this came about because of their normal, everyday activities in their local church and the fact that they were serving there and available for ministry. If you want to find the leading of the Holy Spirit in and for your life, you first must get involved serving the Lord in your local church. Someone compared it to steering a car. It's much easier to steer a car when it's moving 
than when it's stationary. I remember one time I rolled my mother's Impala into the garage door uh, because I forgot to unlock the uh, lockable steering column while I was pushing it, and I uh, couldn't steer it. And uh, I never did tell my dad about that. But anyway, <laughs> dad, if you're watching, I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, so get involved. Be doing something. A lot of times people say, well, what's the leading of the Holy Spirit? Well, do something. Uh, you know, if you, are you a Christian? Yes. Are you in a church? Yes. Plenty of stuff to do there. Just start doing something. And as you're doing different things, the Holy Spirit will begin to lead you in other ways. Now, the second thing we note is that they fulfilled their ministry, it says. They followed through and were faithful. Two things. I cannot emphasize enough the absolute value of following through. Anyone can start well. It's the finish that is most important. And faithfulness, at least in this case as I'm using it, is something beyond just following through. It's an attitude while following through. It's the understanding that what you are doing to serve the Lord is as unto Him and should therefore be done with the utmost preparation and care. The person who faithfully follows through is in a spiritual position to find the leading of the Holy Spirit for future direction. So you want the Holy Spirit's leading, you want to find it, get busy, start serving, be, uh, follow through in what you commit to do, and be faithful in it, and you'll be in a position to receive more from the Lord. Barnabas and Saul returned to the church at Antioch in verse 1 of chapter 13. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Uh, every week I tell you this, probably next week will be the last time I have to. Saul is the Hebrew name of Paul the Apostle. Yeah, same individual. And so in verse 9 of this chapter, he's going to start being called Paul for the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, but same man. Paul would later write a lot about God's plan for his church. He would develop a theology of the church. He would say that it was established by the apostles and prophets on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so in the first century, there were apostles and prophets. These were offices in the church that men held, and they went around and they established the church on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And then Paul indicates in his writings that those offices gave way to the offices of pastor teachers, evangelists, elders, and deacons. And so we say that there are no apostles today, not in the New Testament sense of men with immediate authority who were establishing the church on its foundation. For one thing, no one meets the major qualification given by Peter in Acts chapter 1. You had to see the risen Lord in order to be one of the apostles. And so there are no apostles today in that sense. There are men that God uses in great ways to establish great works, no doubt about that. But we're leery of people who take the title apostle uh, because there just ain't no such animal uh, anymore. There are also no prophets in the sense of holding an office in the church. There are those who have, uh, who have and exercise the gift of prophecy, but they are not speaking with immediate authority for God. All of their utterances must be judged by the Word of God. Uh, and so I think you understand that. So the office of the apostle, the office of the prophet, 
Those have passed away. Now you have pastor, teachers, evangelists, uh, elders, deacons, and in the body of Christ, individuals, men and women, with various gifts, some of whom have the gift of prophecy, which is always tested against the written word of God to make sure that it's really God speaking. Now, these prophets and teachers in Antioch, they were its leadership. We already know Barnabas and Saul. Simeon was called Niger. Niger means black, and so scholars suppose that he was from Africa. We know of Lucius, only his city, Cyrene. Menaean, we're told, was a former rich kid. He had gone to fancy schools with Herod the Tetrarch. This was Herod Antipas, who was the murderer of John the Baptist. It's probably a devotional study in the comparison of Menaean with his former buddy, uh, Herod, uh, and how they went very separate ways, didn't they? One who was, you know, troubled by but ended up killing John the Baptist, the other uh, a born-again Christian who was vitally involved in the life of the church at Antioch. Maybe you have a best friend or somebody that you grew up with, and maybe you were inseparable, and then all of a sudden you got saved and they haven't yet or didn't for a while. And it's a very interesting kind of a contrast to see uh, God working in uh, different people's lives. And so these were the men. Uh, they were the leadership of that church. Now, this next verse in verse 2 shows us how this vibrant church was led. It was led, but not by these leaders so much as it was by the Holy Spirit. Here's how. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said. Let's stop there for a moment. I suggest that this was their job description as leaders. Two things at least are mentioned. They ministered to the Lord and they fasted. Now, the word ministered, interesting word. It's where we derive our word liturgy, which means the order of service in a church. Sometimes, uh, well, even here we sometimes have a, uh, like on Christmas Eve, we publish the little booklet that takes us through the uh, lessons and carols service that we do. And, and that is a liturgy you, as we move from reading to reading and stuff like that. And uh, it's, or some churches just call it an order of service, but the foreign word for it that makes you sound smart is liturgy. And so really what uh, they ministered, and that tells us that uh, they were responsible for the service of the church and the order of that service, and not just church services, but for overseeing that everything was done to the glory of God in an orderly way. The word is also used of the work of the Levites in the tabernacle and temple of the Old Testament. And if you follow these guys around in their work, they got things ready and prepared so that when a worshiper came through the door, he or she could offer their sacrifice, they could offer their prayer, they could do whatever it was that they had come to do to have a connection with God. The fires were going, the place was swept out, the knives were sharpened, whatever needed to take place so that you could come, a person could come off the street of Jerusalem and just say, hey, I'm here to offer a sacrifice. It was all ready to go. And so this is the word that's used of the leaders of the New Testament church at Antioch. They made sure everything was ready for the people so that when people came together, they could connect with God. But what is most necessary to notice about that is the one word 
where it says they ministered to the Lord. We would expect the writer to say they ministered for the Lord because we always think of ministry as something we do for the Lord. But the key is that you are not doing your work for the Lord. You're doing it to Him to bring Him the glory. It's the difference between being burdened and bringing a blessing. If I minister for the Lord, then I minister to people. And I'm going to find myself burdened when people flake out or otherwise let me down, or they're going to be burdened when I otherwise flake out or let them down. But if I minister to the Lord, I am ministering for the people. And so I have to attend only to what the Lord has told me to do, and I have to do it with zeal and passion and excitement and dedication and faithfulness and all that, and just be ready. And just everything is now ready. I'm ready. What I'm supposed to do is ready. I'm there on time. It's all set so that a person can come and connect with God, another Christian, an unbeliever, whoever it is, so that, that everything is ready for them. And this was the job of the leadership. And this is the job of leadership today, I believe. If you're a leader of the church or a leader of something in the church, a leader of anything, it is to minister to the Lord in the sense that you can say, Lord, everything is now ready. You do whatever you want to do in the lives of the people that come here. I'm not ministering to them. I'm ministering to you. You're ministering to them. I'm just making sure that it can occur and that everything is in place for it. It's a very exciting way to understand ministry, and I think it's the biblical way. And I would add to this that the leaders were interested in going to meetings where the gifts of the Holy Spirit were being exercised, and so should we, and we probably need to do more of that. How do you minister to the Lord exactly besides some of the things that I said? Well, in this case, they met together for prayer to hear from the Lord during times of voluntary fasting. It's become popular among evangelical scholars, good guys that we trust, uh, but lately they're trying to show from the New Testament that fasting is nowhere commanded as a spiritual discipline. Initially, I say to that, amen. Uh, you know, because I'd, I'd like to just do away with fasting if it was up to me. But then I read the book of Acts, and I see that the first church definitely fasted, and not just the Jewish church in Jerusalem. This is the Gentile church at Antioch. Paul the apostle would go on to say of himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he was in fastings often. I was going to call this study the world's fastest man because he fasted all the time. And so you can't really get away from fasting as much as I'd like to. I think about fasting. I've been experimenting with fasting, but man, there's just so many delicious things out there to eat. <laughs> My favorite snack right now, please don't buy me any, uh, but two York peppermint patties cooled to a, an exact temperature. <laughs> first in the freezer, then in the refrigerator to take off, you know, with ice-cold milk as a chaser. Oh, man. The milk just explodes the mint in your mouth. I mean, it's fantastic. <laughs> anyway, there's other stuff I could talk to you about. But so fasting, you know, I, I just, I beg off on fasting. I want to believe that it's not taught, but it is. Now, it may not be commanded, but it is commended. And I've figured out finally 
something I should have known a long time ago, but that fasting really fits into the category of one of those romantic aspects of our walk with the Lord. And that's why the Lord would never command you to fast because it would, it would detract from the genuineness of it. For example, I've told you this story over the years. It's the only story I got. But anyway, <laughs> when uh, Pam and I were first dating, she lived down in Southern California, and I lived in uh, uh, San Bernardino. And so I would work all day at my dad's shop and then drive down to Santa Ana and stay down there as long as possible and then drive back to San Bernardino in the middle of the night, jump into bed at home and get an hour, two hours, three hours sleep, go to work, go to Santa Ana, and back and forth. Uh, finally, I ended up hospitalized, suffering from exhaustion. I thought I was going to die one night and went to the emergency room and they said, you're suffering from exhaustion. Uh, and they gave me some Valium. Wow, man. <laughs> But uh, it's the only time I've ever taken Valium, uh, you know. But anyway, wow. Anyway, uh, now I did that for Now, if, if I had a girlfriend, if I was, let's say I first met some girl, and she said, uh, you know, okay, this was a pretty successful date. Now what I'd like you to do is leave work every night and come down and stay here till all hours of the morning and, and leave at the latest possible moment, get just one or two hours sleep and do it again and again until you're so exhausted that you end up in the hospital. That's what it's going to take for you to date me. Oh, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> you know, I, I uh, hey, it's been nice, you know. So you really can't command somebody to do that, but when you love somebody, you don't have to command them to do it. You, you, it's, it's commendable. You want to do it. And that's what fasting really is. It's that I want to be with Jesus or I want to hear from Jesus, and so I don't really have time to eat. I can't take the time to eat or to do this other thing that I want to do. And it really elevates fasting to a new dimension. And the only reason I mention this is because fasting is a lost spiritual discipline among Christians. I freely but sadly admit I am just discovering fasting in my own walk, and I'm having a hard time with it because of my lust for food. If I remember the next day is the fast, lots of eating goes on that day. It's kind of like the Mardi Gras thing, you know, Fat Tuesday. Okay, I'm ready for, for Lent. It's tough. You know, we started, uh, part of our vision statement is to feed, fast, and find. And the fasting is tough. Uh, you know, but it's voluntary. And I'm just suggesting first to myself and then to you, fasting as a spiritual discipline, but not in that sense, as a way of just spending time with the Lord. And that's what these guys did, and Paul did it more than anybody. Uh, sometimes we wonder, you know, about Paul and, and how God used him, and maybe this is one of those keys. Now, if you have some kind of, uh, you know, you should read about fasting and learn about it. Uh, we've got some information on our website I think you can go to. Some of you have health issues and stuff, so don't, you know, don't take this as a burden. Uh, we don't want any diabetics, you know, going into comas or anything like that. So, so be smart about that. Uh, but it's, I think, something that uh, fasting and praying with others during those times of voluntary fasting is important to finding the leading of the Holy Spirit for a church and perhaps for individuals, and we need to do it more and more. 
And we need to be in meetings where the gifts of the Holy Spirit can be properly exercised. So here's what we've learned so far about finding the leading of uh, the Holy Spirit we're seeking. Be actively involved in the life of the local church. Be serving the Lord and follow through faithfully in serving Him. Be ministering to the Lord and not for Him. And be praying with others while fasting. The Holy Spirit wants you to find His leading, and those are some of the ways that you can be ready to find it. And once found, follow it. Uh, Verse 2 of chapter 13 goes on. And it tells us that the Holy Spirit wants you to follow his leading. We stopped in the middle, and so let's read it again. As they ministered to the Lord, verse 2, and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Almost certainly the Holy Spirit said this through one of the prophets in that group. It was a word of prophecy. He received an impression or a vision or a dream earlier that day or a direct word from the Lord, and then he revealed it to the group. It's so important to see that this work was one that God had called them to. The Holy Spirit was the person sending them. One commentator put it like this, among those who serve the Lord, there are those who are sent and there are those who just went. Your own desires are subordinate to the Lord's work. You must be called and you must be sent. Those who just went experience burdens they are not equipped to carry, and they run the risk of harming God's dearly loved saints. It's one thing if a church sends someone out. There's a leadership, there's an accountability, there's a responsibility, there's interaction between people, there's the ability to say, what are you doing here? Why is this person qualified or not qualified and all that? When people just show up and they say, hey, I'm here on my own with this burden, uh, it's not that it can't be from the Lord, but you want to be a little bit more suspicious about that. And sometimes when you research it, you find out that their own church will not support them because of things that they know about them. And so, uh, you know, it's just important to be sent. Barnabas and Saul found the leading of the Holy Spirit through prophecy. Now, today we still do that, but it's prophecy that's already written for us in the Word of God. It's prophecy, one of the definitions of prophecy is just God speaking forth His Word, and that's what we have in the completed Scripture. Most of the things in your life that require some leading are already clearly spelled out in the Bible. There's plenty of leading inspired by the Holy Spirit about how to live every day as a man or a woman, as a husband or a wife, a father or a mother, an employer or an employee, and every other relationship that you can think about. In more personal areas where you need minute leading of the Word of God in combination with other factors, uh, then you can find that leading. But for the most part, a lot of the things that you need leading on are are given. The idea here is that sometimes people are not ready to follow that leading. People come in, they're having a problem, let's say, at work. I always pick on marriage, but I will pick on work. work. Workplace problems are legendary. You don't get along with your boss, you don't get along with your employees, and, and I admit, I'll admit, I'll stand shoulder to shoulder and say, yeah, that guy is a jerk. I mean, that he is a first-rate jerk. If you looked at jerk in the, bio, in the dictionary, his name would be there, you know. And so, I mean, that kind of a thing. So what does the Bible say about how we're to get along with that jerk at work? Well, it says we're to love him in Christ and be submitted and, and seek to lead him to the Lord and all of these kinds of things. 
And so we already know what God's leading is, and we're thinking, oh, no, no, the leading I want is to the other job. That's the leading I'm looking for. Well, how about we follow this lead for a while? And a lot of times, we're just, quite honestly, bottom line, we don't want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're looking for it, and it's right there, and we're not willing to follow it. And so it's a very interesting kind of a thing. In, as I said, in other areas, we, you know, hey, which job, which city, what this, what that. Then we pray and fast and seek the word, and there are a a lot of different ways that the Lord can reveal himself. Here in Acts chapter 13, verse 3, they fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, and they sent them away. And so they continued to fast and pray even after they found this leading. It shows no lack of faith to confirm the leading of the Holy Spirit. God always speaks perfectly, but we hear him imperfectly sometimes. We hear what we want to hear, and we don't hear what he's saying sometimes. And so continuing to fast and pray for a time gives God opportunity to show us we've really heard him and not our own will or the will of others. And then it says that the congregation laid hands on them, and I I believe it was more than just these three men, that it was the whole congregation. If it was just these three, then they represented the congregation. By the time you get to chapter 14 and Paul and Barnabas come back, you see that the whole church was involved in this uh, missionary journey, and so they laid hands on them. The laying on of hands is a physical public gesture that shows your agreement. By laying on hands, you identify with the other person or people. And so this tells us that we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit always in a much larger context than we think. We follow it as Christians, but also as members of the body of Christ on earth and of a local church in particular. I love the local church, and I love it because that is how the apostles established things in the first century. They went around, they made disciples, and they established churches with leadership and laity, with all of those complicated but blessed interrelationships to keep people safe and to keep the Word of God spreading. And, and when you've got people breaking off and doing their own thing, not sponsored by, not responsible to, not accountable to any local church, then you're going to have problems, and that has historically been the case. Back in verse 3, Uh, the word sent is released. They released them to do what God wanted them to do. It's a beautiful word and concept. Once you've found God's will in conjunction with the whole church as a body, then you are released to do it and to minister uh, to the Lord. In verse 4, so they being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and there sailed to Cyprus. We'll talk about the destinations in our next study. The important thing to notice in our discussion today is this. The Holy Spirit was sending them, and they actually followed that lead. Uh, you, You know, we talked about this briefly, but that's the bottom line. Sometimes people act like they're not finding the leading of the Holy Spirit. They're just in all this confusion, and in reality, you have found it, but you're not willing to follow it. And we need to, I think as a bottom line prerequisite, there's no use finding the leading of the Holy Spirit if you haven't already decided that whatever it is, you're going to follow it. And uh, I remember John MacArthur, Pastor John, many years ago, he said the most difficult thing that he felt he had to do as a Bible teacher, uh, in his ministry at least, 
was to convince people to follow the Word of God. Not to teach the Word of God, not to reveal what God said, but to get people to admit before they even hear the Word of God that whatever it says, they're going to subordinate themselves to and follow it because, after all, it is the Word of God. And a lot of times in my own life and in the lives of Christians I've seen over the years, we take this as the book of God's suggestions to us. It's like, well, God is suggesting that you love your wife the way Christ loved the church. Uh, I've tried that. I don't know how many times have people have said to me and maybe I've said to others, I've tried that and it's just not working for me. Oh, okay, well, let's just throw our Bible out. You know, God's suggestions aren't working. And so the idea is that we, we want to have a, you know, as a prerequisite, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Remember we, we uh, talked about Peter a few chapters ago where he got this vision from the Lord and he said, not so, Lord. And I pointed out that you can't say that. You can't say, Lord, which is a, you know, I will do whatever you say. You're my Lord. You command me. Here am I, Lord. Send me. And then say, not so. And, and that's, that's the attitude that we need to have. So we'll find a lot more of the leading of the Holy Spirit once we resolve that issue. Uh, and, and really, it's like other things in our life. God wants us to find his leading more than we probably want to sometimes. Not that it's bad, but that we make it so complex and, and convoluted. And the Lord says, hey, it's very simple. Just start by becoming a Christian. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. And then the next thing that happens to you is you'll find yourself led to a church. Uh, make sure it's a good, solid Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church. And then you'll start meeting people and you'll start volunteering for things and doing things. You'll start the car moving and then you'll find that it's much easier to steer and the Lord will begin to guide and direct you into different areas through the people that you meet and the leadership there and the projects that they have going and the ministries that uh, are going there and stuff like that. And after a while, you just become more and more acquainted with just how to really know that it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, this third person of the triune God who indwells you and wants to lead and guide. Our problem, whether it's on an individual level or on a church level, is so often we get away from these simple things. Uh, I tell you, it's hard having been involved in churches for the past 25 years or so and being here even in what I think is, is the flagship Calvary Chapel, you know, I mean, the, one of the greatest churches on earth. Uh, it, it's always a struggle, always a struggle just to continue to pray fast uh, and just wait on the Lord and listen for the Lord to speak to us through prophecy and stuff. There's that part of you that kicks in and thinks, well, I've been around the block. I know what to do. I'm a man of wisdom. This is how this should be handled. This is where we should go. That's what the other church is doing. We need to do this. We very, very difficult from a human level to do what these guys did and to say, hey, we're just going to get together and pray and fast and hear from the Lord. We're going to go to meetings where prophecy is being exercised and those kinds of things. And then after it happens, we're going to do it some more to make sure that we've heard from the Lord. And we're going to minister to the Lord and all that. In the meantime, we're going to make sure everything is ready and in place so that if a Christian or a non-Christian comes in, 
they're, you know, they can meet with God. And so it's a very simple thing that we make way too complicated. Uh, And so let's keep it simple and just simply teach the word simply and see what the Lord can do uh, as we continue to minister to him until his coming for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. What a fantastic church this church at Antioch was as they really knew how to participate with the Holy Spirit in cooperation. They were looking to uh, you, Holy Spirit, to tell them what to do and then just release people to do that. I pray for myself and all the brothers and sisters that are here today, Lord, that we would be ready to follow your revealed will in Scripture and that we would know that it's your leading because we have it right in front of us, Lord. And in those other areas where we need uh, special insight and wisdom as to direction, Lord, I pray that we'd be busy serving you. We'd consider fasting and prayer, meeting with others, listening for your voice, confirming your direction, and then going out with the joy that you are leading us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's please stand together. Guys are down here to pray with you. If you're not a Christian, you've never been born again, you come here this morning, you're hungry for God, you want to make a connection with God, uh, come on down. You can come on down even now while I'm still talking. And uh, these guys will begin to pray with you and they'll share Christ with you and welcome you into the family of God. Don't leave here. If you're not a Christian, uh, you know, I don't want to scare you. Well, actually, I do want to scare you, but I'm not doing it to scare you. I'm doing it because it's the truth. You don't know if you even have the rest of today in terms of accidents, illnesses, injuries, and just your life. Your life is a vapor. It appears for a moment, and then it vanishes away. It's nothing more than a puff of smoke. Uh, so if you, if you haven't resolved your eternal destiny, if you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, you need to meet Christ. If you think that you're a fairly good person or that God's going to judge you based on some good works or uh, you know, that you haven't done too many bad things, that is not the basis of judgment. When you stand before God, and everyone will, he's going to want to know if you knew his son, Jesus Christ, because only that knowledge and only that belief will save you. So if you're here and you need the Lord, come down. If you're a Christian and you want prayer, uh, come down, and, and we'll stay here as long as we need to to pray for you and pray with you. May God bless you and keep you. Don't leave if you haven't met someone that you don't know. Uh, you, at least introduce yourself to somebody that you don't know so that everyone can feel that they have been welcomed by the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless you. Amen.